to Romans chapter 12. I'll be reading from King James Version, verses 1 through 15. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, our ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessities of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Well, we have come into that time of year when... There is a sense of excitement in the air. After all, we're about to begin a brand new year. We're about to start fresh. We're having a chance to start all over again. And I don't know anyone who doesn't like the sound of that. We're able to cast off the old. We're able to put on the new. And perhaps there were things in this past year that were left undone and that we will now have the opportunity to fulfill in this brand new coming year. Isn't that a nice thought? Isn't that encouraging to think about that? To be able to know that we have an opportunity to maybe accomplish something that we failed to accomplish in uh, the time we've been blessed with up to this point. Well, you know, when we think of it, why should we wait until December the 31st of every single year? to take advantage of an opportunity with which God has blessed us with every single day. As long as we're alive, as long as we have our mental faculties, as long as we have the opportunity, we have the chance to start over again every single day. We have the opportunity to make tomorrow better than today. And that's what I've entitled the sermon this morning, A Better Tomorrow. That's what Paul spoke of in the passage read for us. He's talking about having a better tomorrow. 
making a change, taking off the old, putting on the new, understanding that some things in our yesterdays do not belong in our todays or our tomorrows. Looking at life in the proper perspective and having the initiative to change instead of just simply hoping for change. After all, nothing's going to change until something changes, right? But how do we go about making those changes? There's a way to do it, isn't there? There must be a way to do it. There must be some kind of instruction on how to go about making a change in our lives. After all, sometimes our lives become so overwhelming that we simply just want to quit. We want to stop. We think we can't go on. Some, the, the problems in life, the obstacles in the road, the roadblocks, they've all amassed themselves right in front of us and we simply cannot get around them. But we can't stop. Why? Because God asked us to be more than we ever thought we could be. And He expects greatness from each of us. Well, that's a burden, isn't it? God expecting greatness from each of us? Well, I didn't know everyone was great. Everyone who is obedient to God is great in His eyesight. During the height of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln would often seek refuge. In a small church... Pretty close to the capital, he would go in and he would sit off to the side and he would hold his stovetop uh, stove hat uh, uh, in, his, uh, in his lap, not, not allowing the congregation to know that, that he was there, not wanting to cause a problem or to distract. And he would sit there and he would listen as the preacher would open up the Bible and he would read Scripture and he sat there with his, the nation being torn apart, his heart being torn apart, looking for some kind of a refuge and solace and sustenance. Well, on one occasion as the preacher was delivering this message, he listened to it and the people began to leave and the president stood. He took his hat and his secretary standing next to him asked him what he thought of the sermon. He said, well, it was eloquently delivered. It was a thoughtful sermon. And so the secretary said, so you believe that it was a great sermon? He said, no, I think he failed miserably. He said, how was that, Mr. President? He failed. How, how was that? Because he did not ask of us something great. He did not ask of the people to be great. He did not deliver the mindset from God that He expects us to be great, that He expects us to make tomorrow better than today. God expects that. And like Paul, we've been asked to do something great and grand in this life. Paul expected it of himself. He expected it of those who read his letters. And God has asked us to understand a little something about yesterday, a little something about today, so that we can make tomorrow better. He's asked us to take off the old, to put on the new. He's asked that of us each day. And He expects that each day to accomplish our goals of a better tomorrow because it is the eternal tomorrow for which we long, right? We must have a plan in place. We must have some way of accomplishing the goal of making tomorrow better. And fortunately for us, Paul has delivered to us the perfect plan straight from the mind of God. 
He wanted the original readers and all those who would follow to understand how to make a better tomorrow. And you have to begin with, we must anticipate tomorrow. If we're going to make tomorrow better, we must anticipate tomorrow. That doesn't mean we live as if tomorrow's going to come. But we have to prepare for tomorrow. If we're going to make something better, we have to look at it. We have to dissect it. We have to understand it. And we have to anticipate what we need to do. And it begins with dedication today. To anticipate tomorrow, to make it better, we have to have dedication today. Paul began this section of his letter, the passage under consideration, begging the people. That's what beseech means. I beg you, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We quickly come to the understanding, and this is what Paul was wanting to get across. We are not due, or we are not owed salvation. We are blessed with an opportunity to be saved because of God's dedication to us. And so we must have dedication. We anticipate tomorrow and we have dedication today. Paul reminded his readers that saying God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. We were sinners, but Christ died for us to bring us out of the darkness of sin into His marvelous light so we can become Christians and no longer sinners. That doesn't mean we're perfectly sinless, but that means we're not living in sin. The new creature born through baptism for the remission of sins begins his or her life with dedication. It has to be that way. And we better keep in mind the person who fails in his or her Christian life fails because he or she has refused to submit and dedicate himself or herself to God isn't God's fault. It's the individual. We see the dedication that Paul speaks of in his letter to Timothy. When we read 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, he gives Timothy these rules, these commandments. He says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Talking about in the previous passage, the, the sins of this world. But then he says, But seek after, pursue after, Righteousness, faith, meekness, love, all those things. See, it wasn't good enough to simply avoid sin. There has to be a dedication in our life to pursue after righteousness. We cannot simply take sin out of our lives and not fill our lives back up with something else because we all know what happens, right? When we read the parable of the uh, the, the man who had the demon, the evil spirit in him, he got rid of the evil spirit. It was cast out of him, but he didn't fill himself up with anything. And it's like his internal part, his eternal part of himself, Jesus said was like a house that had been swept clean. And since he didn't fill it back up, the, the evil spirit went and got seven more, even more wicked than he was. And so he was worse off than he was in the beginning. So it's not good enough to simply stay away from sin. That means... We have to pursue something. Now this word pursue means to intentionally capture. I have to intentionally capture faith, love, righteousness, meekness, all those things that we read about in our passage as we anticipate a better tomorrow. 
we begin with dedication today. But we also have to have separation. That's what Paul commanded in our passage. Separation. Our dedication to God is intimately related and connected to our separation from the world. Notice after having begged them through reasoning, reasoning with them, he now commands them, you have to be different. You have to be different. How do you become different? Well, we have to change something, right? If we're going to be different, we have to change in some way. And so he wants our way of thinking and our lifestyles to be changed, to be conformed to God's way of thinking, to what God wants us to to be, to how He wants us to live in our lifestyles. If we're going to have a better tomorrow, doesn't it stand to reason? There may be some things that are preventing that from happening. We have to look and we have to see what needs to be changed. We're going to notice that. And when it comes to anticipating the eternal tomorrow, we better change those things in our lives, right? We better do that which is necessary to make a better tomorrow. Being separated from the world and dedicated to God will allow us to do certain things. Paul in his, or Peter in his letter, 1 Peter 3.15, he said to sanctify yourselves. You know what that means? To be separated, set apart, sanctify yourselves. He says, sanctify the Lord God. You honor the Lord God. He's set apart. We are to be set apart. We're to be like Him. And we're to always be ready to give an answer. Why? Because we're set apart. People are going to want to know why. Why are you so different? Why are you separated from the world in lifestyle? Why do we not live like the world lives? There's a question that needs to be answered there. Peter described the separated this way, 1 Peter 2.9. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He said, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Separation. Being separated is a good thing. We're to be different and peculiar. Separate from the world. That's what God wants. But God never intended us, and we need to understand this, God never intended for us to avoid the people in the world. We're not to uh, hide ourselves away and have no interaction with the world, form some kind of a religious commune somewhere, and not allow people to come in or, or interact. That, that is wholly apart from what God teaches. We are to interact with people, else how will we teach them the gospel? In his letter, his first letter to Corinth, Paul was addressing a problem. They had an issue with a man who was fornicating in their midst with his stepmother. And so Paul says you can't have a relationship with someone who is a Christian, who claims to be a Christian, who participates in that lifestyle. You have to withdraw your fellowship from them. We're going to notice he says... Uh, later on, you're, you're to turn them over to Satan for the buffeting of the body. But I want us to notice what he said. 
he was particularly talking about those who claim to be Christians, who participate in lifestyles contrary to God's. We cannot participate with them. He's not talking about the world in general. He reminded those in Corinth, he said, I wrote unto you in an epistle, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know uh, not to eat. So he's saying, if someone claims to be a Christian, and they're living an ungodly lifestyle, we're to withdraw from them. But we cannot withdraw from the world. We have to get out of the world. He says, it's not possible, unless we die. Right? So we go to the grocery store, and the person ringing us up, may be in an adulterous relationship. Do we stop buying groceries? Do we stop going to the gas station because the person selling the gas is cheating on his taxes? No, we, we need to go buy gasoline. But we don't participate in their st- sinful lifestyles, right? We don't participate with the fornicator, the extortioner, the liar, the railer. We don't participate, but we better interact with them in some way or else we cannot teach them the gospel. We still have separation, but we have interaction. That makes for a better tomorrow. To have a better tomorrow, we must anticipate tomorrow. We have to have dedication. We have to have separation. And now, I want us to notice, Paul commanded transformation. That's how we affect change that God has asked for, isn't it? Transformation. Everyone in this world is either a conformer or a transformer. There's only one of two choices. We either conform to the world or we are transformed by God's will. One who has obeyed the gospel will both grow and mature in the faith or else he will eventually fall away. Paul called upon us to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. He wants us to become more and more each day like Christ. We do that through study, through dedication, being separated from the world. We do it through honoring Him and wanting to be faithful. When we renew our minds, we're not opening our minds to Satan. See, Satan can't get to us unless we allow him to get to us. Paul encouraged the Ephesian brethren. Ephesians 4, 24 through 27. He said, in accordance with what we're thinking about this morning, put on the new man. He said, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Do not give the devil an opportunity to tempt you into sinning. Do not place yourself in a position to be tempted into sinning because that gives him the chance to do that. And he is looking for that chance. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said he's like a lion. He's walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He's wanting to destroy every single one of us. But we cannot 
allow that to happen. We must transform. But we have to keep in mind it's our minds that are transformed. Our minds that are transformed. You know, in the earlier part of the history of man in and even in some sects today, people want to transform the body in the sense of they want to punish themselves physically. You know, in, in essence, they want to beat the devil right out of themselves, right? That's what they try to do. But that's not what we're talking about. We need to transform our minds. We have a desire for God, and we have a less of a desire for Satan. We have a desire for the physical, and uh, spiritual, and less of a desire for the physical. We transform our minds. The more we think of the judgment of God, the less we think of the opinions of men. That's what we want. Peter and the other apostles told the Jewish leaders, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. I want us to notice too that this Christian transformation, it will certainly affect at least three ways or three aspects of our lives. It will change what we believe uh, in our minds will change our minds regarding what we believe it will change our behavior we know that is repentance right we'll turn away we'll turn back to God it will, rechain, it will change our relationship with God it will allow us to be reconciled back to Him see we were once in a relationship with God in the very beginning right and then sin came into the world and that relationship was destroyed And now God, through His Son, His eternal purpose, Ephesians 3.11, has put forth the process through which we can be reconciled back to Him. We can stand justified in the sight of God. We can stand faultless in the sight of God, not to be blamed of anything. That doesn't mean we're sinless. But that means we're not engaging in something that we know to be contrary to God's will. No one can accuse us. That's what Romans 8 is about in large part, isn't it? Who can accuse God's faithful? That's a rhetorical question Paul made. Nobody can accuse the faithful if we're being faithful, right? Now we're going to be reconciled to God and we do that through obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. We know what that is. We understand that, right? Faith comes from hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. We have to listen to God's message. Repentance of past sins saying, I want to dedicate myself to God. That's anticipating the future, isn't it? anticipating tomorrow. I want tomorrow to be better than today. I want to be a child of God. I want to go to heaven. So we change our lifestyles. We repent. Godly sorrow brings about repentance, Paul said. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for me. He came out of the grave. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father in the seat of power, the position of power right now as we speak, reigning over His kingdom being immersed in water to have my sins washed away, contacting the blood of Jesus through obedience. It's not the water. It's not magical. It's just water. But it's the obedience of going down into that water and it is at that point that Christ's blood takes our sins away. For we're baptized into His death, Paul said, Romans 6, 3 and 4. And then, of course, living a faithful life. For a better tomorrow, we have to anticipate tomorrow. But we also must cultivate tomorrow. That's our second and our final point. Before we are able to cultivate anything, you know what we have to have? Think about it. 
Some of us who are gardeners, we cultivate ground. But what do we first have to do? There must be an evaluation made, right? We have to, to look around. We have to find the best spot. Where is going to be the spot that produces the greatest harvest? I have to evaluate the area. I have to do that with my relationship with God. I have to make an evaluation. Where do I stand in my relationship with God? How do I know where I need to stand? Well, I look to the Scripture. I see what the Scripture says. What is my relationship with God? Where do I need to be with God? Where am I lacking in that relationship? See, one of the qualities necessary for faithfulness is self-awareness, right? Understanding my position and where I am, being perfectly honest with myself. Paul demanded this, 2 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 5. He told the uh, Corinthians, he said, Examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know we are not reprobates. Well, what's the background of this? Paul was having a problem. He was having a huge problem in Corinth. He had these teachers coming in who were false teachers. They were taking certain aspects of the old law and trying to add it to the new law, particularly uh, circumcision. And they were saying you had to do those things. Well, in order to get the people to believe them, they began to disparage Paul. They began to tell them, well, Paul's not an apostle. We're apostles. Well, and we see in, in that section of Scripture, Paul says, hey, you want to compare records? Then he begins to name off all the things he had endured. But the point is, he's saying, look, examine yourselves. Stack it up against what the Scripture says, what has been delivered to you. Not what some man says. Evaluate yourselves. Don't evaluate me. He said, you can evaluate me, but you need to evaluate yourselves. Examine yourselves. If they evaluated Paul, Paul would stand up, wouldn't he? He'd stack up. But they wouldn't. So he wanted them to bring the proper understanding, self-understanding. He told them, he said, Now, I can come to you with the power of an apostle. I can bring the rod, but that's not what I want to do. If you will examine yourselves, you'll come to the proper understanding of where you need to be and what, where you're lacking. How can I know if I'm in Christ or not? How do I examine myself? How can I determine that? That's a good question. We better be able to answer it, right? If someone says, well, it's just how you feel. If you feel like you're a Christian, then you're a Christian. Absolutely 100% negative. Negative. People are in the world who believe they're followers of God 100% and they're not. Ask the one billion people who adhere to the Muslim faith. They do not believe in Christ Jesus but they are dedicated to their belief. They're not evaluating themselves. They're not evaluating themselves up according to the canon God has delivered to us. I have to understand something. It doesn't matter how I feel. I might feel good about something and be completely wrong. Did Paul feel bad about murdering Stephen? No, absolutely not. He felt good about it. He thought he was defending God. He was 100% wrong and he was on the road to hell. So what do I do? How can I understand if I'm a Christian? Is my conversion just like that I read in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts? Is my conversion just like that? Did I listen to the gospel 
Or did I listen to what some man said I ought to do? Did someone show me in the Bible how I become a Christian? Did I follow those examples? The plan of salvation that we mentioned. It's in the Bible. Repentance, Luke 13. Acts 2.38. Acts 3.19. Confession, Romans 10.9 and 10. Matthew 10.32 and 33. Confession is in there. Confession that Christ Jesus is Lord, Acts 8.37. Immersion in water for the very purpose of being forgiven of my sins, Acts 22.16. Having them washed away, that's perfectly clear. Remission of sin, Acts 2.38. To be saved, 1 Peter 3.21. That's the purpose of it. And then living a faithful life, right? We have to do that. Did I do that? I can look. Well, what about this? I did those things, but am I studying my Bible daily? Am I in a right relationship with God? Am I studying to show myself approved before God? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the Word of God. Am I doing that? Am I in a right relationship with God? Am I attending the services of the Lord's church in accordance to what God said? Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, the leadership can set forth the parameters on when we meet together. Now, God set forth the parameter on meeting on the first day of the week. We have to do that, period, every single first day of the week. But what if the leadership says we're going to come together on a Wednesday night? Well, if I'm a member under that leadership, at that congregation, I have to be obedient to those who have the rule over me, Hebrews 13. Am I doing that? Does that make me in a right relationship with God? What about my giving? What about my giving? Do I give as I have been prospered? Well, what does that mean? I had someone ask me one time, well, how do I know if I've been prospered? I said, are you alive in this world? Are you eating? Do you have a place to live? Do you turn the lights on? Are you sleeping under the, under the railroad tracks? Or, you know, what do you mean, have you prospered in this world? If we're alive in this world, and we're benefiting from this world, I have been prospered in this world. Now, some people prosper more than others, right? Some people, pro- and, and uh, God bless them for that. Am I giving as I've been prospered? Or am I stingy? Am I greedy? You know, we better not lose our souls over a few dollars, right? We better not lose our souls over a few dollars. Am I a soul winner for Christ? Or do I rely on others to carry out the Great Commission? That's how I can determine if I'm in a relationship with God. I look at all these parameters. I look at what happened in the New Testament and I can determine if I'm stacking up to that. I have to examine myself. Evaluation is the first step as we cultivate our lives to better service. But if we do not engage in cooperation, none of that can happen, right? Luke described the very first congregation of the Lord's people as being together and having all things in common, Acts 2.44. Now this isn't a communistic or socialistic type of uh, situation. These are people giving because they wanted to. God has never endorsed socialism. He's never endorsed communism. If you don't work, neither should you eat. And you must carry your own burdens when they're your own burdens to carry. Right? This was a voluntary cooperation between uh, those of like precious faith, 2 Peter 1.1. Now we remember in Acts chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 1, a couple named Sapphira, Aquil, uh, Ananias, and Sapphira. Well, 
they had seen how Barnabas had been lauded and had been praised for selling his property and giving it to those in need. Now you've got to remember, these are people from all over the world that came to Jerusalem. The church was established the very uh, first day, the uh, very first Pentecost after Christ had arisen, and they were there. They weren't planning on staying that long, and they had no means to support themselves. So they all came together and they helped one another. This is a situation that there probably has never been one like it since. And so they sold their possessions, they helped one another. Well, Ananias and Sapphira saw that. And they liked the praise of men more so than the praise of God. So they went and they sold a possession they had. And they went and gave it to the apostles and said, we've given you every bit of the money. Did they have to do that at all? Absolutely not. But if they did it and they said they did it, they better be telling the truth. Well, they gave half. God struck them dead for the lie. It was a voluntary thing. They didn't have to do it. We're commanded to help each other when we're able and when we have opportunity. We're not commanded to keep the world up, right? The world's commanded to keep itself up. But just like the physical body with its many parts, spiritually we have many people too that can do certain things. Particularly in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 22, he's talking about spiritual gifts. But we can take application of that. You know, uh, not everybody can lead a song. Not everybody can lead a public prayer. Not everybody can preach publicly. Not everybody can teach. But we can all do something. Right? We can all do something. We anticipate a better tomorrow. But we have to cultivate it. Right? We have to, we have to look at it. We have to have cooperation. We have to have evaluation. And how do we get any of that? Participation. We have to have it. It's necessary. This passage under consideration this morning, closely mirrors the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit of which Paul spoke to the Galatians. Christian members of the local congregation must participate in the works of the church. As we walk the paths of this life, we're going to face things that seem insurmountable by ourselves. Paul encouraged us as a group. He said, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors, through Him that loved us. We are more than conquerors, right? We are. We're a group. We, we have our own spiritual services to perform, but we have to perform them as a group in, at certain times also. We have to behave a certain way in the house of God. Paul said, let not your love, uh, let love be without dissimulation. Don't be hypocritical in your love. You know, he said, don't just say I love you. Let your works back up your words. He's not saying don't say that. But he's saying, you, when you say it, let your actions support it, right? Do those things. We express our participation when we show our love for each other. One way we show our love for each other, and we mentioned this, is if we have to discipline, right? What's the purpose of discipline? What's the purpose of withdrawal of fellowship? I hate the word disfellowship. Not wrong to use it. Not wrong to use it. That's a personal problem that I have. I hate that word disfellowship. It's not found in the Bible. We withdraw fellowship, right? It's an action on our part. We withdraw, we back up. Why? Because we want that individual to be saved. The brother who was fornicating with his stepmother, they withdrew from him because they wanted him to go to heaven. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. If we're not careful, love can, can lose its purity and its depth. We have to be careful with that. Paul listed in the last part of our passage a whole lot of characteristics 
that we're to have. So we need that if we're going to have a better tomorrow. Paul wants us to have a better tomorrow. God wants us to have a better tomorrow. We want a better tomorrow. But we have to do certain things. We have to anticipate, but we have to cultivate that tomorrow, don't we? We have to do our part. The success of any Christian or congregation depends on that Christian, that congregation, and God's blessings. We've stated before, and and I'm a big believer in this, we have to pray like it's all up to God and work as if it's all up to us. Without either one of those, we're we're not going to be successful. Now, we've been blessed here at White Oak with the works in which we've been engaged. Now, Paul has laid out a better tomorrow. If we're willing to engage in the difficult activities that bring about a better tomorrow, we'll have a better tomorrow. And we need that. We need the gospel. Sin has taken our lives away, and the gospel provides it for us again. If you've never obeyed the the gospel plan of salvation, we've talked about it. Do that today. Don't leave here not being a Christian. If you have, you've been unfaithful in, in any of these aspects of which we've spoken. Make that change today. Come back to God through repentance and prayer as we stand and as we sing.